On this episode of the show, you've got the Game Time Guru, myself, breaking it down with an ESPN analyst. We're joining forces this time to learn about his journey as well as who should have won Rookie of the Year and MVP in the NBA. Don't miss this episode of the Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game Time Guru! Hey yo, what's up everybody? Shane Larson here coming at you with episode 70 of the show. 70, 70. Cannot believe we've made it to 70 episodes. We're going strong. The show continues to grow. And as I've said before, I appreciate everyone's support. So thank you for, you know, all those who have shared the the shows with their friends and family and those who have participated in the show and those who just simply listen to the show. I appreciate you. Um, thank you so much for letting me share my passion with you guys. And, you know, for all the guests, I appreciate you, you know, telling your story, sharing those with my listeners. So the show is continuing to grow. Let's keep the momentum rolling. Episode 70. We got another 70 coming here in the next year and a half. It's going to be great. Uh, if you guys follow me on uh, on social media, Instagram, at um, GameTimeGuru, or just go to Facebook, the GameTimeGuru. Uh, but yeah, anyways, the other day I posted on Instagram about some books I was reading. Now, quick fact about myself. Hate reading books. Hate them. Hate books. But I understand the importance of them. So I posted a couple of books that I've read, you know, some with Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, uh, Muhammad Ali books, you know, just, just books I've read. Uh, I love The Winner's Manual with Jim Tressel. And uh, a season on the brink about Bobby Knight. Um, those are great books, but uh, the book that I really wanted to read um, is Return of the King, and it's about the 2016 championship run in Cleveland with LeBron James. Brian Windhorst wrote it, and what actually happened is I found it on Audible, which is the um, audiobook platform that I am now working with as a sponsorship here with the podcast, as you guys know. Um, and I, I've become a big fan of audiobooks since I started listening to podcasts. I know there's some mixed feelings, mixed you know opinions about uh, audiobooks. Some people prefer the physical book, but now I can listen to that while I'm at, at work. Just you know, pop the audiobook in and listen to them. So, anyways, I downloaded it for free, got a, a free trial through Audible, so I get to to read. Return of the King. Uh, Brian Windhorst himself is actually the one reading it. It's his voice reading the book. So it's actually really cool. And so I encourage you guys all to do that as well. If you guys are interested in that book or any other book for that matter, I love this one. You can get your free Audible you know, 30-day trial by using the link of audibletrial.com slash thegametimeguru. Again, it's audibletrial.com slash thegametimeguru. Sign up for your free 30-day trial. You can get the book, read it. It's awesome. Um, so far, so good. I'm, I'm liking it. Um, I'm hoping to read other ones too. When Kobe's book comes out and I can actually get my hands on that one, I'm going to be downloading that. So today, I just wanted to let you guys know what we got on the agenda for the show. A- an interview with an ESPN analyst. Uh, he's going to share his story. You guys know I love having people share their stories, so he's going to share his story, how he got to where he's at. Uh, he's got a lot to say, and it's awesome. It's, it's one of my favorite interviews I've done. I mean, I love every one of my interviews. Um, this one was awesome because he was more than happy to join me. He didn't act like he was too good for me when I reached out to him, and, and he was just so awesome. So this was a great interview. We're going to get his opinion on some basketball matters, though. You guys are going to like this one. So tune in, buckle up. This is going to be the interview. It's coming at you right now. On the phone with me today is ESPN analyst Adnan Verk. Adnan, thank you for joining us on the Game Time Guru. Oh, my pleasure, Shane. Thanks so much for making the time. I appreciate it. 
Pleasure's all mine, man. And you know I am so ecstatic. We talked about it before. Ecstatic that I have you on the show. Cannot believe it. It's actually an, it's an honor. I still get giddy when I'm talking to people like yourself. So thank you so much. And uh, I want to ask you something, Adnan. Before the lights were all on you and you became Adnan Verk on ESPN that everybody knows, where were you from and what was your field of study? The question like that, Shane, I should warn you that brevity has never been my strong suit. So I hope there's no length on this podcast. I hope that's, <laughs> a, that's a nice open-ended question to my journey, which is tough to distill so quickly. But I will, I will attempt to do it in the quickest fashion as possible. You go ahead and jump in wherever you find it interesting. But uh, the real short story is this: I uh, always loved sports, and I always loved broadcasting. And when I was in high school, I always liked public speaking, and I was a good writer. And so I, I kind of had the skills to do it. I think that's first and foremost. Whenever I meet people who want to become sportscasters or going to broadcast, and they kind of have to have those tools of writing and communication and knowledge and, and all that goes in hand in hand. Um, but I was fortunate, like I said, I had that kind of base, and then I went to Ryerson, which was a good school uh, in downtown Toronto. It's a great broadcasting school, much like, um, I guess, your people in the Northeast. This will not impact you, but people in Syracuse. I swear, whenever you go to ESPN, there's an inordinate amount of Syracuse grads in Northwestern. Those are the two big media schools. Uh, so Ryerson was like that, and, um, you know, I wanted to be a filmmaker. I've always loved movies, you know, sports and movies are my twin passions, and I always wanted to be a filmmaker, but I quickly realized that this is a short film in my second year of college, I did not have a strong visual sense, um, and that's probably the best way to put it. Like, a filmmaker looks at a situation, they can see all the different angles, and the technical jargon, and that's not me. I, I love watching movies and dissecting them, but the actual craft of it is much more harder especially for someone like me. So I would rather talk with them and make them. And like I said, speaking and writing are, are my strengths. So broadcasting is a natural uh, strong suit. And I always loved sports. That was a no-brainer for me. I could never imagine doing hard news. I, it's far too depressing. I don't really understand U.S. politics, so there's no chance there. Uh, sports, I mean, that's always fun, and I love competition. And uh, I think I'm an overall big sports fan. I think that's really important. So when people want to go into sports, you meet people who say, oh, they love basketball, they love football. I mean, the, the more sports you love, the better chance you have, the more well-rounded you'd be. Robert Ford's my old buddy from ESPN. He now works at MLB Network. Whenever people ask him for advice, he always says, read as much as you can and make your weakest sport your strongest one. So I don't know a ton about golf or auto racing, but when I was 21 or 22, at least I knew enough that if I had to you know, do a highlight at TSN, which was the equivalent of ESPN, or if I had to speak on the subject or horse racing, I knew that you know, affirmed on the Triple Crown in 1978. The more kind of nuggets like that and stuff you can know, uh, the better chance you'll have a success. So uh, I got an agent in the States when I was working in Toronto after a few years. My boss there pushed me to do it and uh, struck out at a few jobs. And MLB Network wasn't interested. Uh, I believe Turner, I think, wasn't interested. We, we definitely pitched a few places and they, they passed. But ESPN was amazing. Laura Orlando was the boss, and she said, um, they don't have an opening, but if you'd like to have a conversation, I'd really like your tape. You used to send a tape back in those days, a DVD. Uh, so I met with her, and that was a nice conversation. I had to wait a long time. For those who are trying to get in the business, you have to wait. It feels like you're waiting forever. Uh, so I would send an email maybe once a month just checking with her, everything going, blah, blah, blah. And then 15 months after, I interviewed in October of 08, January of 15, I sent a follow-up email. just literally saying, Happy New Year. hope you're well. And then she said, if you have uh, a tape, I'd up to the one, please send me because we're looking to hire somebody. And then I went down Valentine's Day of 2010, which is about six weeks later. I uh, did a full audition there, and then they offered me the job. And, again, being Canadian, it was a little bit tricky in terms of the green card. I heard that Mark Rose was on the boss told me it could take six months. But, thankfully, it took four days, and very quickly I got approved. And then my wife and I and uh, our one son at the time moved down here. So it's been a, an amazing journey, man. Eight years here at ESPN, and by the conclusion of my next deal, 
Um, it'll have been 10 years at ESPN, which is a lot more than I think anybody would ever predicted. So it's been a real thrill for me. I hope that was a short enough version. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. I want to say thank you for the details because we can always look at your biography online and such, but we don't know the details. So I appreciate that because you took the time to share the details, and that's what we want to hear. Now, after college, Adnan, when you got your first gig, I want to hear about that. I want to hear about your first gig in the sports world. What was that? Yeah, for sure. When I was in at Ryerson in my second year, I was 19. I interned at CSM, which is the equivalent of ESPN, which is a huge break. They have what's called a CSM Best Scholarship. And then we just have interns from Ryerson and Humber College, which is a school in Toronto. My buddy Jeff Edmonton was from there. Um, my buddy John Chick. So, like, Humber and Ryerson were both pretty good hotbeds. And, uh, yeah, they would have, like, you know, a couple of students there taking arts game, which I was, radio and television arts, journalism program at Humber. And they did it for the summer, and I got paid that summer of 1998. I was 19, turning 20. I got paid six grand for four months' work, which was pretty amazing at that age. And you're working at CSN, and I get to see all these big names. Uh, I know you guys don't know the names, but imagine if you were working with Keith Overman and Dan Patrick and Rich Eisen and Stuart Scott, and you were that age, going, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm working with the best of the brightest. That's what James Duffy and David Amber and Rod Smith and Darren DeFisher and those guys were like. And they were really generous to me. They very quickly responded to the fact that I had an absolute for They said, let me guess, you want to be on air too? I thought, I'd love to. And they said, yeah, and then we, we can kind of see that in you. So uh, they offered tips and just advice, and they, they were awesome. So that was the internship. I did that for a couple of years when I finished school. I worked there for a couple more years behind the scenes. But here's good advice. Michael Landsberg, who's a big star in Canada, a really nice guy, he asked me once, do you want to be on air, right? And I said, yeah. He goes, well, then get out of here. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you're going to be here for 15, 20 years. You're going to get married and you have kids and you're never going to leave. The first time here, Chuck, you get is not going to be taking much money. And the longer you work here at TSN, you're going to become producer. You're going to be making forty, fifty, sixty thousand $60,000. you are not going to go leave to take an $18,000 a year job in Northern Ontario. So get out of here now. And I said, what am I supposed to do? He said, go be a waiter. I don't care. Just find something to pay the bills and then go be a broadcaster. So it's actually good advice. I think there's a lot of people now who kind of get stuck in that way. Maybe there's an actor in Hollywood wants to be an actor, but he's getting paid good money as a grip or an editor, and then eventually the acting dream fades away. Find specifically what you want to do. Don't just say, I'm working in the sports industry, that's enough. No, no, I want to be on camera working in sports, uh, which was good advice. But, of course, it doesn't just happen that way. I got turned down for a job in Sudbury, Ontario, which is a small mining town, about five hours north of Toronto. I got turned down for a job where I grew up in Kingston for a sports casting job. I tried out for a TV of kids host, didn't get that. I tried out for the weather network, didn't get that. So I was trying, you know, I'm 22, 23, 24, trying to get that break, and it's just not happening. And then I got a job at Omni, which is the equivalent, kind of like PBS here in America. It's a multicultural channel. Uh, and I auditioned for the job, didn't get the job, but he said to me, we have another show called Bollywood Boulevards, but Indian movies, and we're looking for a host. And I said, listen, my family's from Pakistan originally, but I don't really know the movies that well, though I love movies. And he said, it's fine. As long as you're a broadcaster, we have a producer who's from Mumbai, uh, from India, who can give you the background on them and, and figure it out. So... Rather than probably, that was my first job on air. I was 24 years old, and I worked at Omni for 16 months. And within three weeks, within two weeks of doing Bollywood Boulevard, I got another show called Omni Culture. So once, I wouldn't say it rains pours. I mean, I'll, I'll pay the starting salary. I was making $215 a show for Bollywood Boulevard, and Omni Culture was 350 But when you're 24 years old, I mean, that's like 565 bucks a week uh, before taxes. So over the course of the year, it's about 32 grand. I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. I mean, Especially since the job I left at TSN, I was an associate producer. I was making forty-five thousand. So just imagine, you know, to friends and family, Shane, they're saying you went from forty-five grand to thirty-two grand, and I'm saying, yeah, but I'm on, I'm on TV now. You can see me on TV in Toronto, this, uh, the biggest city in Canada. So to me, it was a no-brainer. 
Um, and then after about a year and a half, almost two years there, I got a job at the score, which was an all-sports network. It was a nascent uh, network. It was trying to compete with TSN, which was the big boys, and Sportsnet. And um, we were kind of like the ugly ducklings, but we had a blast, man. We were like the 94 Expos. We had a lot of talent, and we had fun. And all those guys that I worked with are all big names down in Canada. And uh, it was great. And that job I got offered, I mean, I was 25 years old. And, and so at 25, I was a sportscaster at the National Sports Network. It was not getting big ratings, but coast to coast, you could see me. So that was amazing to me to be able to achieve that relatively young age, even though it kind of felt like I'd been trying for five years to do it. For sure. I just want to say one thing real quick. My mom would love you for saying what you said earlier about not being comfortable with just because you got into the industry and that's the job you got. And you know, understanding that you might take a pay cut, but you're doing what you want to do. Uh, she always is telling me that because so often today in the corporate world, people get comfortable because they make X amount of money and now like they don't want to take that that leap. Um, and so she always tells me that. So I've had that in the back of my mind forever and I appreciate you telling us that. Now at ESPN, Adnan, you hold, you know, you wear a lot of hats. We all know that. And you do a lot of stuff. You talk on the radio, you talk on TV and, and you do all this stuff. I want to know what you prefer. Do you like talking on radio or would you prefer to be on television? Yeah, I prefer television. Um, you know, I went to school, like I said, at Radio and Television Arts at Ryerson. I always wanted to be a TV broadcaster. Keith Overman was always my favorite. I liked the idea of being at a desk, being an anchor. I didn't like the idea of being a reporter. I don't like travel particularly. Uh, I never really was that um, entranced by play-by-play because I felt like for years you had to work at minor league ballparks. And, again, I don't like the idea. I like the idea of not 9 to 5 because I hate 9 to 5. I have a real aversion to that. But I like the idea of, let's say, 4 to 12, going at night watching games all night, and then doing sports center. I think that was the goal in my head. Hey, 10 to 11 on a desk, 11 to 12. Here's the highlights, fast and furious. Uh, lots of one-liners. Get a guest to be, get an analyst. And that, that to me, would probably be the pinnacle. Um, so I was lucky in that. But the way radio happened was ESPN, uh, we had our second baby shortly after we had arrived, and I was just looking for some extra cash. And Jonathan Coachman and Dolly Noko, a couple of great ESPN anchors, were doing radio on the side. And uh, they told me it was uh, a little bit extra money, and I said, I'm in. So <laughs> I, I wouldn't say I falsified, but I told one of the radio bosses I had done radio in Toronto. If I'd done it, that means that I'd be a guest for eight to ten minutes. That's not hosting a two-, three-hour show. So sometimes I don't want to be uh, too transparent, but listen, kids, it means you got to kind of stretch the truth a little bit. Oh, yeah, sure, I've hosted shows before. I've done radio, I think is how I said. I never said I hosted a show, but I've done eight to ten minutes as a guest. But they took it as, oh, he's hosted three-hour radio shows. Why not? This guy can do it. And Coach and Dari were both great. The first show I ever did was with Coach. He was generous. And he helped me out. And Dari was good. And there was three reasons to do radio. The extra money, it was fun, and it was good exposure. And it really helped me at ESPN because when you're on TV, you get really beholden to teleprompter and you're very specific in what you're saying. When you do radio, it's all improvised, as you know. You just let it fly. So I became a better TV broadcaster once I became a radio broadcaster. And it definitely allowed people to see my personality and uh, sense of humor and love of movies and all that kind of stuff. So on TV, it's quick. You know that. 15 seconds, go, go, go. Uh, just get to the highlights. And on radio, you got so much time and space, and you can have um, lots of detours and segues. And Ryan Rosillo was so great to me because he encouraged that. He said he saw my Twitter very early on. All right, because in the movies, fine, five minutes. Let's just talk about movies and go from there. Um, so radio, I think David Boyd gave me advice early on. He said, TV, you'll make more money, and it's more stable. But radio is actually more fun. And I think in a lot of ways that can be true. But um, I think I got a pretty great gig, man, because TV is where it's at. That's what I do. 
but then I get to show up on the radio and have a blast. So I think that's actually, um, I think it's the best of both worlds, personally. And I get to do a little bit of play-by-play as well, which is nice. Absolutely. Yeah, and you're, you're living the dream for a typical sports fan like myself. Like, you get to do it all, and that's awesome. Not everybody gets to do that. I think it's rad. Um, have you made the trip to Boise in all your travels and everything you've got to do and experience during your, your time in this industry? Have you made the trip to Boise? I haven't, you know, for Canadian, I'm fascinated by U.S. geography. I went to edit it up. I think I've been to like 28 states, which is pretty amazing, I think, for a Canadian, uh, considering how many most Americans could tell you how many provinces and territories we have in Canada. But since I've been to half the country, I'm pretty pumped. I've never been to Idaho. I'd love to go just to see the blue turf and to get some potatoes. I know those are the stereotypes of your fine state, but I'm sure there's a lot more there. So, Listen, if we have a reason, maybe with college football now, I can get a right. chance to go to Boise someday. Yeah. I'd love to go. Absolutely. Okay, so if you do come down here, let me let me tell you something. If you come down here, we're going to a Boise State game. I'm taking you to the game, and I'll take you out somewhere to eat. We're we're gonna hang out. Maybe we'll we'll just meet up. I'll take you out there. So let's 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 plan that out. If you decide to come, I'm big on the food. So tell me if I'm ever in Boise, what do I get? I mean, I'm being stereotypical of potatoes, but what do I get if I'm in Boise? Yeah, I mean that's tough. What, what, is there a certain food that you like? Yeah, now what I do like you like? I like chicken. I like steak. I like pasta. I mean, I'm pretty sure seafood. Whatever you got. Okay, so so if yeah, that's tough, I, I mean, if you like steak, steak. I mean, we can go Ruth's Chris. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Their steaks are beyond amazing. Uh, for Ruth's Chris, I'm trying to think of any kind of restaurant though that. Man, Ruth's Chris has got to be where it's at, like, though. I want to find something, and they say it's only particular to Idaho. Like, even if it's a dessert okay. or something, or something always, you have to come to Idaho and have the mud pie or whatever oh, it is. Okay, 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 okay. I got gotcha. you. Boise Fry Company. That's what you got to do. And the reason I say Boise Fry Company is because the fries that they have there are specific. They have different types of fries from different parts of the state. You have got to try out Boise Fry Company. That's, that's where you'll have to go. That is particular to Idaho and specifically particular to Boise. Now, I've got to get into a college football discussion with you and have a question. I have a question for you because it's not every day I get to speak to an ESPN analyst. Now, your thoughts on Ohio State. Now, I'm a Buckeye fan, Adnan, huge Buckeye fan. Born and raised in Boise, huge Bronco fan too. I graduated from there, so go Broncos, but I love the Buckeyes. They don't know who's going to start at quarterback this year, but they're, you know, preseasons. They got them ranked, you know, expected to get to the, you know, college football playoff, Final Four, da 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 I want to know your thoughts, though, because they have this question mark at, at the quarterback position, the engine that drives the team. What are your thoughts on the Buckeyes' chances of making the national championship this year? I think the Buckeyes are always in the midst. I mean, listen, college football is run for, for, for a novice like me who didn't grow up with it. But what I realized really quickly is there's two big things, the coach and it's the system. So as long as you have Urban Meyer who's one of the game's best coaches there, you're always going to have a chance to win. What's amazing to me is that in the five years I've covered college football, it's gone from the SEC being the dominant one to now the Big Ten. And to work with Joy Daly, of course, great Buckeye, he's been saying it all along, but that Big Ten East is the best division in all of football. So it's a strength and a weakness for the Buckeyes. The strength is that if you can overcome that gauntlet and beat Michigan State and beat Michigan and prove your strength in, in State, then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, we can beat anybody. The downside is, of course, it's so tough to run a table against those teams. And as you mentioned, for Urban, there now there's that bit of uh, flux in terms of the quarterback. But I, I will ride with him without any equivocation. And Michigan now with Harbaugh even is a bit of a disappointment. Like, that's what Paul Plymouth was saying. For all the hype that Harbaugh gets, like, what's Michigan done since he's been there? They really haven't been able to stand up to Big Brother in Urban and the Buckeyes. So, yeah, I think they're always that perennial contender. They're always one of those five to ten teams that I have an eye on. Uh, but I think we kind of have to wait and shake out a little bit to see once the season starts. Is it the elite Buckeyes team or just a really good Buckeyes team? 
And then who do you have winning it, Adnan? Who's winning the national championship? Is it Alabama back-to-back, or who do you got? I do have Alabama. You know, I called the Alabama spring game at Kirk Street in Galloway in uh, April 21st. And not only did the team look good, and we don't even know if, if Tua is going to start, if Jalen Hurts is going to start a quarterback, but I looked at their schedule, and they're a double-digit favorite in every game. I mean, there's, there's just no competition for them on their schedule. So they're just going to cruise, and then all you got to do is win two games, win the semifinal and win one national championship, and, and Saban's the best coach in the business. So I'd love to give you an off-the-board answer. Like I'm, I'm actually going to be flying to L.A. at the end of the month for the Pac-12 meetings. I can't wait to go see Chip Kelly. I'd love to see him build a contender at UCLA, but it's not going to happen in year one. I love Herm Edwards. He's now coaching Arizona State, my old buddy from ESPN. I can't wait to see him. Uh, Kevin Sumlin, of course, the former coach at A&M, is now uh, with Arizona. So the fact that I kind of have an eye on, I'm curious who's going to stand out. Um, you mentioned your Buckeyes out of the Big Ten. I always look at them. And then Clemson, they're not going anywhere either from the ACC. So those are the handful of teams that I look at. But honestly, man, it's it's tough to bet against Alabama. That's how good that team is. And, and being there, that game against Georgia, when they were down, the way they came back, it was pretty amazing to see. And being Jesse Palmer and Joy Gallery, we're all impressed with their uh, fortitude. Man, I don't want to hear that. I can't stand Alabama. Everybody knows I can't stand Alabama. I'm very open about that. But you know what? you got to respect them. I've, I've, as I've gotten older, I've grown to respect certain teams and certain organizations. And they win when they have to win. And I guess that's the big thing. But oh, I can't stand them. Anyways, um, the, the, NF, or sorry, the NBA awards came out a few weeks back we're talking mvps rookie of the year big question marks there a lot of debate that happened i need your thoughts on this because i want to know what the most valuable player stands for what does that even mean and not only in the nba but for all sports for that matter i want to know what the most valuable player is supposed to mean because that's the debate we keep having man I know it's supposed to be most valuable to his team, but I kind of think it's a joke. I mean, <laughs> listen, James Harden scored 30 points per game, and the Rockets at 65 points. I know they were great, but honestly, the fact LeBron James didn't win the MVP, to me, I wouldn't say it's a travesty, but it is laughable. It's kind of like how Shaquille O'Neal only ever won one regular season MVP, and you go, come on, he's one of the dominant players of all time. How can he win MVP? LeBron should have won his fifth MVP, and he carried that team, even with the changes that they made. He really was the guy. And no disrespect to Harden, who's amazing offensively. He's a defensive sieve. I mean, if you watch that series with the Warriors, you very quickly saw that he is not a defensive <laughs> stalwart. Whereas LeBron can do everything. He can pass, he can score, he can rebound. So Harden's a great offensive player. Rockets had an amazing season. And honestly, LeBron James is the MVP to me. And I don't, I don't think it should be most valuable. And by the way, if it is most valuable, imagine the Cavaliers love LeBron James. They only make the playoffs. The Rockets without Harden still had Paul and Capella and Anderson and enough other guys. They'd be okay. So that's one of those. I think Kyrie Irving put it well. He said the team started might be the people's MVP, but LeBron James is the NBA's MVP. Oh, for sure. I, I think that anybody that watches basketball can see that the supporting cast for both, you just have to look to a lot of factors, and it's unfortunate. And, and the same goes with the rookie of the year. I kind of want to know your thoughts on this. I'm a Jazz fan, so i got to get your opinion. I love Donovan Mitchell, but – did Simmons earn it, or should it have been should it have been Mitchell? I think it should have been Donovan Mitchell. I, I watched more Jazz games than I realized throughout the year, and I actually thought he was amazing. Again, in terms of value, where's Utah without him? Where's Philadelphia? Ed beats the stud, and they've obviously got players who were able to develop as the year went on, and a good coach in Brett Brown. And obviously, Quinn Snyder was up for coach of the year as well for Utah, but I, I actually thought Donovan Mitchell was amazing. The games I saw, he was willing to put a team on his back. Simmons, for, for all of his talent, and he obviously can distribute the rock well and he can rebound. He still has that much of a jump shot. The scoring is questionable. So 
Um, I actually was hoping for Donovan Mitchell to win, and this isn't even including the fact that Simmons, you know, is a second-year rookie, which I think is, I mean, it is technically accurate, but a little bit unfair that he kind of had a little bit more time. But honestly, I would have rode with Mitchell. That's me personally. I, I think he was the best rookie of the year. I know you can't see me right now, but I am smiling. I am smiling because I love Donovan Mitchell. I'm a Jazz fan. You know I'm going to love that answer. Thank you for that. Um, before we get to my last question, I did have to ask this because I know you're a movie guy, Adnan. What's your favorite movie? You know, the one that I've seen the most. I think that's always the easiest to answer because best is tough. Um I'll dance around it before giving you the answer. Like, Raising Bull, I think, is the best movie I've ever seen. And that when I watched it, I was like, oh, my God, there's something special about this film. The black and white, the choreography, the boxing scenes are incredibly well edited. Uh, De Niro's landmark performance, I mean, it changed acting. He was the first guy to really – you see it all the time, that guy's put on weight, to lose weight. De Niro was the first one, put on 55 pounds by Jake LaMotta. Uh, Pesci's amazing. Captain Moriarty's Scorsese's direction. I mean, it's it's a it's a movie about the darkness of human existence, but it's really beautifully shot. I remember I watched a clip the other day. Scorsese was on like one of the last late shows with David Letterman, and Letterman told me because you know I came across Raging Bull the other day because that's going to be the best movie of the last fifty years. That movie's unbelievable. And I was even a guy like David Letterman saying how good is Raging Bull, and obviously Dave's not the, the foremost film critic as much as I love him as a broadcaster. So I do think it's a great movie. I love Taxi Driver. When I was in college, that movie I wore out on my VHS. I've never really related to it as much as I did at that time about loneliness and urban alienation. Again, De Niro Scorsese. But I think the best movie, and the one that I've seen the most, is Goodfellas. Again, De Niro Scorsese and Joe Pesci. And maybe just as a kid, I always wanted to be a gangster. But I think the best movies, kind of like the best sports, make you want to play them. Meaning, if you're a Utah Jazz fan, if you go back and watch Stockton and Malone, you feel like grabbing a basketball and just going out there and being one or the other, just grabbing a buddy and saying, let's just, let's just mimic this. When you watch Goodfellas, you literally feel like, I want to go grab a camera and I want to go make a movie right now because that movie is so infectious. And for a movie about the mob, which is so violent, it's darkly funny. I mean, it's such a funny movie, even though maybe I have a twisted sense of humor by saying that. But Pesci's won the Oscar, obviously, for sporting actor. But you know, Ray Liotta's so good. And the use of the voiceover and just that image of, I mean, it's the highs and the lows. The party says, like, man, I'd love to be a gangster. And then once it comes crashing down with the drugs and uh, the fact that feds are after him, I mean, it's just a terrifying conclusion. But it's one of those movies that's very influential. You know, when I talk to young filmmakers, they always say, oh, man, I never forget the first time I saw Goodfellas. And I don't either. I think I was maybe 12. It came out in 1990, so I was 12. Probably got on BSS when I was 13. I was way too young probably to watch it. But, you know, my parents were really paying attention to me and my brother, what we were up to. But Goodfellas is one that I think is great. And it's funny, now it's old enough that people don't know it as well. Like, I, I spoke at Lemoyne College relatively recently, and, you know, those kids are 19, 21, 22. And they're like, oh, Goodfellas, 1990, that's so long ago. And to me, I'm like, oh, I, I don't think it's that old. But I guess, when you put it in perspective, it's almost 30 years. But from they see it, they're like, oh, yeah, that's a great movie. And now they're watching gangster films through, like, you know, The Sopranos or Donnie Brasco or stuff that's more recent. Uh, so Goodfellas, to me, is the one that I love the most. Awesome. I appreciate you breaking that down for us and giving us the insight on the movies as well as the sports. You have knowledge on both sides. So I always like listening to that part of it when you're, you know, on your radio shows and stuff and breaking down the breaking down the movies for us. So the last question I have is mainly for myself, but I mean the listeners too that have the same dreams of, you know, making it somewhere in sports media. I wanna know, you know, you've already given us some insight, but I wanna know the one thing, one piece of advice you would tell us. Um, that we want to make it in the, the sports media industry, what's the one thing we should be doing? 
Well, obviously, there's so many. As you said, you want to network as much as possible, try to meet people that can help you broadcast. You want to practice as much as possible. A lot of people tell you, hear the expression reps, which is short for repetition. The more reps you get, the better you get. Practice in the mirror, practice with a tape recorder, watching a game, put it on mute, pretend you're doing play by play. Uh, you know, watch highlights and try to pretend that, you know, record sports to pretend you're actually doing the highlights, work on your voice inflection, all that stuff. But the one bit of advice I'd say, and I, as you said, I touched on it earlier, is increase your knowledge base. The more sports you know, the better off you'll be. And you want to be so prepared that no matter what happens, you've got a base for it. So, so if you're a young man, a young woman in high school or college, and you're trying to find your way, honestly, read as much as you can. Make your weakness your strong suit, that you're so well-balanced, you're so knowledgeable. You know, I hear people all the time tell me, oh, you're so versatile at ESPN. You can do hosting. You can do play-by-play. You can do radio. Well, that versatility stems from me trying to be as knowledgeable about all things as possible. So if tomorrow ESPN calls me and says, we want you to cover the World Cup, I would feel like I'd have enough of a base. I'd know not only what's happening right now in soccer, but what's happened in the history for major countries. And that's not a sport that I cover all the time, of course. It's baseball and college football and college basketball, but you want to feel like whenever somebody hires you that you, you've got the base that, that nobody else does. And that's going to make the difference. You know, it's easy to say, how do you get on TV or radio? You have to have a good voice. You know, you want to be intelligent, have a good ability to speak well. All that's important, but honestly, I don't think you can beat knowledge. I always think of the quote from my dad, which is by Francis Bacon, the philosopher, knowledge is power. So remember that, and I think you're in, uh, you're in good shape if you can do that. Definitely will remember it. I appreciate you, Adnan, taking the time for joining me today. Knowledge is power. Thanks so much, sir. All right, Shane. My pleasure, man. I really appreciate it. Take care. I have Boise Fry Company. I'll jot that one down. Yeah, make sure to jot it down. And, hey, maybe one day I'll be able to sit right next to you on set and I can learn from you live in action, right? <laughs> that would be amazing, man. I hope so, too. Right on, man. And for all the listeners out there, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, my interview with Adnan Verk. Hope you got to know him. Uh, he's awesome. Great time. I enjoyed it. And you know the drill. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, and we'll talk to you next week. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars, and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.